This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. And we are back, finally wrapping up our Business in Israel series, for now at least. I'm sure there will be many more in the future, and in fact, on my prospect list, I have dozens, if not more than that, more potential interview subjects that would fit into that category. Startup people, business experts in Israel, women in business in Israel, and I am certain that we will revisit that genre in the not-too-distant future. Meanwhile, this is going to be the last for a little while, and then we're going to move into a really interesting and very, very different, almost (laughs) 180-degree different theme of mindfulness, spirituality, self-help, a completely different type of character that we will be featuring, and we have a really fascinating lineup of those individuals. Very excited about that, and we'll be bringing you that starting next week. But meanwhile, this week we are closing out with Someone has become a bit of a tech and startup legend in Israel. He's a young man, but has done incredible, incredible things already. As he describes it, he is a person who wears four and a half hats. He is a tech vlogger, a major connector, a startup advisor, an investor himself, among other roles. And Hillel Fold really has a name that needs little introduction to those who are following the startup and tech scenes in Israel. And we had the chance to meet at the office of Lama'an Achai, which is a charitable organization we featured several months ago uh, in Ramat Beit Shemesh. I shared this episode with a little bit of bittersweetness simply because after we recorded a few months later, not more, as I noted also in an earlier episode, Hillel's brother Ari was brutally murdered by a Palestinian terrorist at a mall in the Gush Etzion, not far from where we recorded this, and actually, which is a region I had directly come from to do this interview. If you recall, two weeks ago, when I interviewed Rachel Moore, that was the hub at Zion, out of her co-working space in the Gush area. That's very close to where this murder took place. And anyone can Google and look up Ari Fold and see all of his amazing accomplishments, all that he did to promote the land of Israel, the people of Israel, was really a true Israeli patriot, a hero even in his dying moments as he was able to cut down the terrorist and prevent him from inflicting further damage on others and really a very, very special person and family as a whole. I also have somewhat of a personal connection there in that their uncle was an administrator at a yeshiva I attended many years ago. But really, the Jewish peoplehood is the greatest family connection of all and that tragedy resonated around the world and impacted so many people, myself certainly included. In any event, life as we know it does move on and perhaps that's a powerful metaphor for the land of Israel where we have suffered so much over the last 70 years and more and yet we continue to flourish and we continue to build and grow and innovate and spread goodness amidst, despite, perhaps sometimes because of those challenges. And so that juxtaposition here to featuring Hillel Fold, a person who represents so much of that frenetic and irrepressible activity in the Holy Land is certainly quite appropriate. So now to Ramat Beit Shemesh for our conversation with tech vlogger, innovator, connector, Hillel Fold. 
We are here in Ramat Beit Shemesh, beautiful community, very Anglo community uh, here in the uh, suburbs of Jerusalem or half an hour outside Jerusalem with Hillel Fold, venture capitalist and uh, very well-known connector in the Holy Land. He rolls his eyes, maybe he'll, he'll correct me, but uh, how are you Hillel? I'm good, but I'm not a venture capitalist. Okay, there, there you go. So correct me, yeah. uh, what's your, what would you say is your principal uh, job title nowadays? Well, I'd say we're four and a half hats. Okay. Uh, hat number one, let's call it startup guy. So, uh, you know, I'm getting an inbound, I'd say 400 emails a week from startups who say to me, I'm launching a company, I'm told I need to meet you. I said, all right, I don't know who told you that, but I'm happy to meet. So I, I sit with startups, try to help them with all things growth, uh, you know, whether it's biz dev, fundraising, social content, PR, etc. Um, 90, let's call it 5% of my time with startups is no strings attached, just kind of do good for the world. 5% of the companies that come back to me sometimes months, sometimes a year, you know, years, and sometimes a decade later, and say to me, all right, you helped us in the early days, we're now, you know, a big successful company, let's work together. So that's hat number one is startups. Hat number two is content. So this all started from me sitting at my first job, bored out of my mind, and I just started <laughs> at the time writing a tech diary, which we call a blog today. At the time, you know, it was definitely not a strategy, nor did I know where it was going to lead, but it turns out writing content on the internet is a powerful thing. So that's really led to my entire career. So today I write and I cover the Israeli tech scene for every leading tech publication from TechCrunch, The Next Web, VentureBeat, um, Business Insider, Inc., Entrepreneur, etc. And then approximately two years ago, I realized that despite all the hype and the buzz surrounding Israeli tech, there's no high quality video content. So I kind of entered that space and I do a daily video blog about Israeli tech, you know, interviewing entrepreneurs. On that. scene or how does it work? Yeah, so I, I don't actually, it's interesting, it's a good question because I don't actually go out of my way to interview anyone. I get a lot of inbound, come meet us and interview us for your vlog. And I said, I don't, I don't have meetings to interview people, rather I have meetings and if a person's interesting, I'll turn on my camera. Uh, so I, I started to do that, that's become somewhat of a beast. Uh, BNH Photo now sponsor it and it's, it's grown and it's become, I'd say, I mean, I think objectively it's just, the highest quality video content about Israeli tech well, on my vlog. So that's hat number two is content. Hat number three is I work with a lot of global brands as an ambassador slash influencer, whatever that means. So for example, Google has a program called Google Developer Experts where they bring experts from around the world to headquarters in Mountain View once a year. Um, engineering experts, UX, UI uh, experts, and marketing experts. So they, they bring me in, I'm part of that program. and. Huawei, the Chinese phone manufacturer, has a program called Key Opinion Leaders, where they say, we're, we're a $90 billion company. We've just surpassed Apple in phone sales, and yet in America, no one even knows how to pronounce the name of my company. So work with us. You have a very engaged audience and help spread the word. So I work with a lot of global brands as an influencer. That's hat number three. So far, we got startups, content, <laughs> and brands. Hat number four uh, is I have my own startup. I, f I figured you know, after all these years of helping startups, it was time. So I launched with a co-founder a company called Zcast, which is a podcasting platform, Cool, ironically. So you and I know what it takes for you to do this. Imagine what it takes for someone who's a professional podcaster and he wants to interview someone across the world. You need a studio, you need equipment, you need audio editing, you need software, you need, it's a major, major headache. So we, we launched a company called Zcast and it's completely simplified podcasting. You literally open the app, you define the topic, you invite anyone you want from around the world, it's HD audio and you click Publish to iTunes, publish to Google Play, and you're done. Very cool. Uh, so super simplified podcasting. That's hat number four. And hat number four and a half is a lot of different, um, let's call them investment bodies, have reached out over the years and said, you have the trust of entrepreneurs, you have the expertise of the market, you have the access to tech execs. All you're missing really is capital, and you can build a very successful um, investment structure. 
So, you know, that's being discussed right now. There, one day when I meet a startup and I help them with all the things that I help them with, instead of taking that deal flow and throwing it in all directions for me to write a check and help the company grow. So that's a half a hat because right now not, not much is going on with that. It's right now an idea being discussed with a couple of people. We'll see what happens. But uh, that's, that's pretty much it. You have to shed one of the other hats in order for that half hat no. to become full? No, that's the thing. I, I would continue doing what I'm doing. It's just that when I would help a company with biz dev and, and social and content and branding and all those things, instead of taking it and saying, all right, here, take, you know, take this deal flow and give it to some VC, I'd write a check and I'd then help the company grow. Then you can be a venture capitalist like I started with. Then, so maybe it was a prophecy. When I, there, you <laughs> go, there you go. So that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, those, those are the primary hats. I guess there's a lot of um, extensions of those hats. So you know, I'm obviously very heavily networked. I'm meeting people all the time. And so a lot of people say to me, you know, I'm looking for a job. I said, all right, well, send me your resume. And then the next day I'll meet a company that's hiring. And then I say, all right, well, I'll connect them. And so that way I've kind of built, I built this little directory of CVs of people looking for jobs in Israel. I've gotten, this week I got 100, the 193rd person a job in Israel. Wow, amazing. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, and there's all kinds of other stuff that I'm doing on the side. But basically the bottom line is kind of the underlying principle here is trying to take this outrageous um, you know, tech Israeli innovation scene, let's call it, and scale it globally. So if you look at just this week, my vlog episodes, you'll see the people that I met with include, you know, Volkswagen, include the incredible like, congressional staff and people from around the world who can really help take these companies to the next level. And that's, that's what gets me up in the morning. So you, you, you asked a very simple question. You got a very not simple There you answer. go. Like, and, and I've heard up, up in the morning can start very early, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when people ask me when I travel around the world to speak, it's another, I'd say, side gig or, or extension of the hats as I speak around the world about Israeli tech. And people say to me, you know, business or pleasure? Why are you traveling? Business or pleasure? And I'm like, you know what? For me, I built my entire business out of the things that I'm most passionate about. So for me, business and pleasure is the same thing. So I wake up, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock every morning, do my thing, catch up on email. And, you know, not, no one's forcing me to get up at those hours, but I've had a good time. So, you know, yeah, I don't sleep much. Now, take us back a little bit. Obviously, you have a, quite an American accent, it sounds like. Uh, where, where are you from? What was your early upbringing like? From New York, Queens. Uh, big fold family in Kew Garden Hills. I'm from Hillcrest. Now they all live in Teaneck in the five towns, but grew up there. And um, when I was 15, after ninth grade in MTA, my parents notified me we were moving to Israel. Wow. Quite, a, quite an age. That's uh, a tough time, yeah. Right. So at the time, you know, I definitely don't want to say I was traumatized, but I was bitter. Now, 25 years later, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, no question about it. But, um, uh, you know, I came here t in 10th grade, did high school, did army, yeshiva, karambiavna. And that was a different time, by the way. There was much less aliyah going on and much less, I would say, integration yeah, yeah. structures for, for kids at your age, right? I don't know about, I mean, yeah, less than today, that's true. Uh, so I did, you know, I did Hesder and karambiavna, did Bar Ilan, studied political science, just transitioned into tech totally accidentally because I always loved it. I didn't study tech or anything like that. You just used to fiddle with computers and stuff like that, or? Yes, but um, just generally speaking, I think from the first time I turned on a computer and, and understood what, like, at the time, AOL chat and all the things that, like, all these things we used back then, I understood maybe perhaps the kind of uh, power of this thing called technology. Yeah. And uh, you know, I like to make it, I like to romanticize it. My wife will call it an addiction. I, uh, to me, it's more like a passion, let's call it. <laughs> but, uh, it's a fine line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but uh, I always love tech. And um, like I said, I started writing this tech diary when I was in my first job out of college and just kind of transitioned into a career in tech. Right, it's very cool. So when you came here in ninth grade, was that a difficult transition? Did they throw you into an Israeli school? Did yeah. you speak in Hebrew? Like yeah, so I came here when I was in sixth grade for one year for a sabbatical. So I picked up Hebrew and I didn't really, I didn't really forget it. But yeah, I came here after, so I started ninth grade, I started high school in MTA, and then 10th grade I came to Israel to Chorev. There were, I mean, there are Americans in Chorev. It's not like, a, I mean, it's an Israeli school, but there were Americans for sure. Um, and I had the Hebrew. 
you know, basketball is basketball in high school. I was playing, you know, but no, but like when I walked into math class, you know, on the first day of 10th grade, and they're talking to me about parabola hyperbola, and I'm like, dude, what language are you talking? I don't, know, I don't even know what that is. Like we were five years behind in math. So yeah, there were definitely challenges in terms of, you know, integrating, uh, I'd say educationally, curriculum, things like that, and socially. But um, yeah, you know, it didn't last very long. You know, I kind of, again, at a young age, you pick up, Hebrew, you pick up social. Right. So, but a lot of times teenagers do have that hard time finding their identity. And yeah, I was on heavy drugs for a little. I'm just kidding. It was, you know, it was a hard age. But, I, but again, I can tell you now, in retrospect, the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. So you got into tech. Did, did you right away, I mean, which of these four and a half or whatever hats did you put on first? How did, what was like the evolution? Yeah, so the evolution was I was working, my first job was a technical writer outside, out of, out of university, which at the time sounded cool, but I, I didn't really know what a technical writer was. Writing manuals, basically. Yeah, it's the guys that write the user guides that no one reads. No one reads. Right? You get your iPhone, you get a user guide, so I wrote those. And it was perhaps the most boring job on the planet. You know, not to say I didn't learn a ton of lessons about myself and about, you know, in general, about technology, about business, but it was very, very boring. And so I, you know, that job, for all intents and purposes, could have been cleaning toilets. It didn't matter what I was doing because I was building my passion on the side. So, you know, it started off with me writing and then it started off with startups reaching out and I'd sit with a startup and I'd say to me, I'd say to this entrepreneur, pitch me, tell me what you're doing. And they pitch me like a typical engineer about their technology, about their algorithms, about things that no one cares about. And I'd say to them, listen, no one cares what you built and no one cares why you built or how you built it, sorry. Only care why you built it. What, what's the pain point that you're solving? Why do I care? How are you gonna make my life better? Uh, so I helped them with their pitch and I'd say to them, you know, who are your competitors? They'd say, we have none. <laughs> I'm like, of course you have competitors, don't be an idiot. And I'd help them understand their landscape a little bit. And then I'd say to them, okay, you built an amazing technology. What's your go-to-market? How are you gonna get out there? And they'd say some ridiculous answer. No clue, they've absolutely, you know, I'm generalizing, but a lot of entrepreneurs I met with in the early days had amazing technology, had no clue what to do with it. How to distribute it. Yeah. So I helped them with that on a strategic level. Sometimes I'd connect them to the press, sometimes I'd connect them to investors, sometimes I'd connect them, you know, and maybe give them some guidance on how to use social media, how to use all different kind of content, all kinds of different things on the internet. Um, and that, you know, again, I didn't take a dime from anyone. I wasn't, that wasn't my business model, so that was on the side. I was working as a technical writer. After technical writing, I was working in finance. And that, again, those jobs are, are just kind of to put food on the table. It, you know, people say to me often, well, you were spending the last 10 years building this brand of yours, how are you living? And I said, well, I was working. Again, I could have been cleaning toilets, it doesn't matter. I was building, and then over the years, my job and my passion merged into one, basically. I mean, the day that happened was the day that I, I, I got hired by my first tech company. This woman comes to interview me, and she says, what are you doing in finance? Come, you know, you're a tech guy, come into tech. I said, where do I sign? So I came and I joined this company as head of marketing. And you know, I'd continue to meet these startups for lunch. You know, they'd, they'd reach out and be like, let's meet. So I'd, I'd have my job. And then I'd go out for lunch to meet a startup. And one day the CEO says to me, like, where are you going every day? I said, oh, I'm going to meet startups. He goes, why? I said, because they reach out to me. They, you know, they want my help in marketing. He's like, so let me get this straight. Every single day startups come in and ask you for advice. And you're, I said, yeah. He goes, all right, we're changing your title. And they, they, that day he changed my title in the company from head of marketing to senior evangelist. And he said to me, go do your thing and elevate our brand. Be our, be our, be our guy in the ecosystem. You know, we're not measuring, or this is not meant to increase sales in the short term, but in the long term, you know, write the blog of the Create company. Create a buzz, yeah. Right. So, so I started the blog, I started doing social media for the company, and I started... But about that particular company, or...? No, not, not even about their particular space, meaning, so, so this is, a, I mean, I don't know how long we have, it's a longer discussion, but the shtick is, when you go to redbull.com, you drink Red Bull? No. No, it's not a very good product, right? And yet, they're one of the strongest brands in the world. You go to redbull.com, there's one word missing, beverage. They're not selling you a drink. What are they selling? You jumping, energy. Jumping out of planes, right? Yeah. Energy and, and lifestyle. 
So, I mean, based on your question that you just asked me, like, why, why, why is Red Bull selling jumping out of planes? The answer is, they're not doing all this to increase their sales in the short term of drinks. They're doing this to own the space, to be a thought leader, to be an authority in the energy drink space. And what's happened as a result is that there's many energy drinks out there. There's only one that matters, right? And so I said to him, if we start writing content, we start doing good for the ecosystem, we start being a real authority, long term, it will elevate our brand and we'll win. And that's what happened. And again, it's, it's, this, isn't, this isn't my, you know, shita. It wasn't my, I didn't make it up. It wasn't my chiddush. This is a Jewish podcast. Yeah, you it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, this wasn't my strategy. This has been done before. The, look at the big, the brands out. That's, look at the biggest brands. They're, they're all doing this, right? So, um, you know, it was, it was early. Not many had been doing this back then. But, you know, it made sense to me. When everyone else is selling, you're focused on giving value and, and really building out the, the, you know, the authority nature of your brand. And uh, yeah, it slowly but surely grew, and at the end, the company was bought for $90 million. Wow. Yeah. So at that point, you left the company and kind of... I left the company before, actually. Um, I left the company before... Okay, stock options. So. Nah. <laughs> I left the company before, but the reason I left the company was because I got pitched by a very well-known entrepreneur who said to me, you know, you meet all these teams, you're part of all these different teams with startups and all these things, how do you communicate? When you talk to them, how do you guys talk? I said, well, we use Skype, we use WhatsApp, we use Google Drive, we use Dropbox, we use, you know, and the tools went on and on and on. He goes, does that make sense to you? He says, you want to talk to your mother, you open WhatsApp, you write her a message. You want to talk to a team, you have to use 15 different tools. Does that make sense? And I said, no. He goes, well, I'm building the solution to that. And I said, sign me up. So I joined the company as CMO. The name of the company at the time was Zula. And it was a team communication platform in one place. All, you know, conference calling, file sharing, team, team chat, one-on-one chat, everything you need to do to talk to a team. And we launched, and long story short, it was a success story till it wasn't. It was doing very well, we won some big competitions, we raised money from Microsoft, it was great. But then a company called Slack came, mm. came on the scene and uh, basically cannibalized the market. Today they're a $7 billion company. It well, was, I'm telling you literally the same messaging, the same features, the same everything. So why did they win? Again, longer discussion. I th- you know, if I had to name one, if I had to say in one word, I, execution. They just executed their butts off. They just made a much better product than, than we did, than we had. Um, but it was literally, I'm telling you, one for one. If you look at the, the, the features, you look at everything, it was literally the same thing. So, you know, we learned a lot of lessons, but uh, yeah, so Slack, I mean, is a beast. I mean, there's still other players in the space, but there was no competing with Slack. They were just growing, like, exponentially. It was crazy. But, um, and that led to, you know, another startup. It led to a, a whole bunch of other things. But the, in terms of the progression, you know, I was, I was working and just building this thing on the side, and then they merged into one. And now my passion is my job. How, how did you end up ultimately figuring out how to monetize these relationships? I think it's like a really complicated question, you know, if you're a relationships guy, you're, you're a connector, you yes, know, so. you're a networker, you want to help people. Like that's, you know, you say you got 193 people jobs, et cetera. Like that's natural passion probably. And right. you know people, you know people, you help them out. And then it's kind of an awkward transition to say, okay, well, how do I make money off of that? And how much do I charge somebody and for what and at what point? I'm writing a book about this now. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> um, so so I, I have a very strange, very strange and uncommon strategy when it comes to this stuff. And I'm not suggesting that this is right for everyone. If not done right, it doesn't work. But my strategy has always been with every company that I'm now working with, I, I never came to any of them and said, pay me. It never happened. I don't even have like a, a presentation, like a deck. Right. I don't have such a thing. I've said, let me help, and I've helped, and I've helped, and I've helped, and I've helped, and I've shown them what I can do for them, and I've helped some more. And just when they thought I was going to ask for something, I helped some more to the point that I started getting emails from people. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to name names. In fact, I'll read, I'll read you an email without naming the name of the company. This is a company worth billions of dollars in Silicon Valley, not even an Israeli company, nothing to do with Israel. And I've helped them just because I genuinely love their product for years. 
One day I'm sitting at home and I get an email with the subject, thank you. And then he writes, Hillel, I won't ever forget your enduring support for what we've been building over the years. Remember, this is a company worth north of a billion dollars. It's time we got you some stock and asked you to be a formal advisor. I know you wouldn't ask for this, but it's the right thing to do. I hope you'll accept. We are only just beginning, and I could really use your advice when you have the time. Wow. All, all the best. And I joined them as an advisor, and that's really what's happening with every single company. Every single company, you know, I've shown them kind of what I can do for them. And they, they said to me numerous times throughout that process, how do I pay you? How do I pay you? And I said, I don't need your money. I'm happy to help. And the truth is, between me and you, it doesn't really take that much for me to connect a company to an investor. Sure. But from the investor's perspective, you just got amazing deal flow. From the company's perspective, you just got an access to an amazing investor. It took me three seconds. Right. So even if I don't monetize, I didn't really lose that much. But the right. way I view it um, is the, w- the way, basically, in terms of the mechanism, is very similar to a VC, venture capitalist. So how does a venture capitalist work? They have 100% of their capital. Let's say they have $10. They want to invest ten dollars. Nine, nine of those dollars is at least nine and a half of those dollars are going to go into the wind. They'll never right. see it again, ever. Right. But fifty cents of those are going to return the entire fund. That's the same thing with me. Ninety-five percent of my time with startups, I'll never see back, and that's fine because five percent return the whole. Even time. if they succeed, but you're just helping them, and they're not right. going to offer you money or stocks. It's, it's rare that that happens. Meaning, yeah, I'm not, I'll just be very clear. I'm not talking about a company that I had, I had lunch with. I'm talking about a company that I accompany long term uh. and help them sustainably they come back. Very rarely do they not. Very, very rarely. Just because they, you, th- you think for selfish reasons or they need you or because they yeah. really appreciate you? No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a oh, thanks, thanks here's, here's a reward. No. It's we see what you can do. We need that on Improving our value. And when, when that conversation happens, it's not, you know, okay, let's negotiate. It's, hello, what are your terms? Whatever your terms are, well, it's yours. T- take it. We need you. Period. Right. So that model probably only works if we're really you know, demonstrating serious value yeah. on a consistent basis yes. over time 100%. to a lot of different places. Yeah, if you're, if you're a BS artist and you just like talk a well, lot. Well, not if you're a BS artist, but if you're just somebody who's able to, you connects a lot of people naturally and helps one or the other yeah, out. Yeah, if you connect, I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago from a, from a CEO, I connected him to an investor. Now again, that took me three seconds, but it doesn't matter because that investor wrote an $8 million check. Right. So then he called me up and he said, you know, what do you- What's your fee? <laughs> exactly. And I said, there's no fee, you know? so. I think, I mean, again, that's a, a specific discussion. And at the end, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advisor at the company, he pays me a retainer. Right. But so you left a half a million dollars on the table there. Right. So I did, yeah. And the point is, I'm 100%, you know, I sleep well at night knowing about it. Why? Because both the, s- the startup understands that, you know, I'm, I have no skin in the game and I'm just genuinely trying to provide value. And that does come back. But again, forget coming back. I did good for someone and it took me three seconds. On the flip side, though, the investor understands that I have no skin in the game. I'm just sending in the best deals there are. And once they start taking a fee, then it's like, oh, he's, he's getting money to send me this deal. It's not, I don't know if it's really the greatest deal. Whereas he's sending me a deal, he gets nothing, it must be a good deal. It's, it's just a different dynamic. Right. You know? So you said in the beginning, relationships, you got, you got to think long term when it comes to relationships. You can't, it's very easy to monetize, but you, you jeopardize something much, much greater when you do that. But it sounds like you had the luxury of doing that for a long time because you had another job, an actual job. I don't, I don't call it a luxury, that's the process. Meaning, if, this is, if you have a passion, you know, you can't go into that passion tomorrow until you, Build, it, build up your credibility, build up your name. So go work, and again, go clean toilets for like, I don't care, wh- whatever you do. Put money, put some bread on the table, that's fine. But build out your passion, build out your name, however you wanna do it, whether it's through writing, whether it's through social media, whether it's through whatever, in- connections. Help, you know, build up your name. Uh, make, you know, make, have a job on the side, but, yeah. but, but know what your end game is. Are you a big fan of Adam Grant and, and give yeah, or take? Because him yesterday on Twitter. Did you really? Two days ago, yeah. Okay, try to interview him, he turned me down, but okay, maybe we'll get- Did you try to interview him? Well, I tried to interview him, yeah. Yeah, it's great. He's, I mean, it's very much, so my book is basically uh, give and take, 
but uh, dumbed down to how do you actually do it? Not, you know, this is high level. This is literally, when do you yes ask? Do you never ask? You ever ask? Do you never ask? Like, how does it work? Right. It's literally, to answer your question of how do you, when's the awkward? That's yeah. my book. I guess I relate to it because I, I kind of see myself in a similar sort of way. I, I encounter a lot of people and put people together and, you know, you should meet this person. And it's like, I don't feel taken advantage of. I mean, I want to help people, you know, but sometimes you're like, well, maybe <laughs> there should be something thrown away. So I never, so I, that's what I'm saying. So that's, that is the difference. And I, I, I speak to people, I think twice a day that say to me, but I've tried this and it just hasn't worked for me. So yeah, because you eventually you apply your strings. Don't, don't apply strings. Once you apply strings, I don't care if it's six months down the line, whether you know it or not, subconsciously, the person then begins to think, oh, wait a second, he did all this just to ask for the money. Right. I never ask, I just keep giving. Eventually that person understands what I can do for them. And they come back to me and they say to me, listen, we need you. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not judging anyone who does think that they should get a kickback. That's fine, I understand that that's, but, but if you, at that point, when you feel like you should be getting a kickback, you focus on giving some more, you'll get your kickback, and then some. What are you most excited about right now in, in the Israel tech scene? It's, you're covering it so heavily. What are the things that really... Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, I'd say, verticals, a lot of different spaces in the tech space that are, that are interesting. I mean, there's obviously blockchain's huge now. Blockchain's definitely, I think, in its, in its infancy right now. It's sort of like the early days of the internet in many different ways. First of all, there's a lot of garbage, just like the early days of the internet. But, uh, so that's interesting, but I, and drones is very hot now. It is, there's a lot of drone companies, people don't realize that. Uh, but you know, the, to answer your question, what's most interesting to me is that I feel like we're in a very interesting transition right now. Everyone's talking about Israel as a startup nation, but that's, right. I, I, I love the authors of the book, don't get me wrong, I, I don't mean to diss on them, but I think that's actually, uh, that book is somewhat outdated because when, when it was written, you know, you'd sit with an entrepreneur and part of the dialogue with that entrepreneur, part of the discussion was always two words that you've, you'd hear repeatedly, which is, exit strategy. How am I going to sell my company to Google? How am I going to make my $100 million? That was the strategy both for invest, uh, entrepreneurs and for investors in Israel. Today, that's no longer the case, right? I, I sit with entrepreneurs every day and investors every day and they say to me, we are looking to either invest in or build multi-billion dollar sustainable businesses. They're owned right here, yeah. Yes, and so you're going to see, I think in the next couple, I'd say in the next decade, you're going to see a couple of Googles and Facebooks coming out of Israel. Uh, and that's really interesting. So I feel like we're graduating out of startup nation to something much greater. And we're already seeing it, by the way. This isn't just you know a theory. We're look, look how many you know quote unquote unicorns, look how many billion dollar companies there are in Israel. We're a, a country that's smaller than New Jersey, with you know the most unstable region on planet Earth. We got you know the biggest ad advertising company in the world is Google. Number two is Facebook. Number three, Iron Source in Tel Aviv. You know, mm. you look at companies obviously like Waze and obviously like Wix and obviously like SimilarWeb, which is the Nielsen of our generation, and AppsFlyer, which is the market leader when it comes to app attribution, and so many other multi-billion, you know, reaching the billion or even more multi-billion dollar companies. Obviously, Mobileye, fifteen point seven billion dollars. Right. I interviewed Moise Navone over there. Yeah, a number, a number I can't even fathom. That's a, that's a ridiculous number. The, but you know, again, forget the actual number, the, the acquisition price. What's interesting to me is that the world's largest R&D center for autonomous vehicles. Is now being built in Jerusalem. Yeah. Just I mean, think about that sentence. You know, the world's and, largest. And he ordered that. He said it's going to be the most disruptive technology of that we've ever seen. I mean, the, the no implications are unbelievably. No question. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that to me, what's most interesting about Israeli tech is that we're graduating out of startup nation and we're building something that's much much larger. And given the context of how tiny we are and how insignificant in terms of size we are on the map, it's outrageous to watch because no matter what vertical of technology you look at, across the board, Israel's leading the way. Either yeah. number one or number two in the world. You know, 10 years ago, we were cyber. And I get it, military cyber, right? Today, every, you, there's no such thing as a vertical of technology in which Israel is not a superpower. There's no such thing, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. I met with, two days ago for lunch, I met with a guy who 
is representing Alibaba in Israel, right? And I said to him, okay, so you have a guy on the ground in Tel Aviv, you must have a guy on the ground in Silicon Valley in the UK and New York, it was not only Israel. Wow. Alibaba, the big Alibaba has a guy on the ground here looking to invest in Israel, only Israel, nowhere else. I said to him, why Israel? He goes, what do you mean, why Israel? You guys have the deepest tech in the world. This is where it's at. You know, and so Volkswagen, I mean, all these massive, you know, and VCs, at, at Google and, and, and Facebook and Microsoft, they're all here, and they're building core elements of their experience here in Tel Aviv, in Salia, in Jerusalem. It's wild. Unbelievable. Yeah. How does all this tie into your Jewish identity? Um, you know, both in terms of when you're representing, you know, as, as a religious Jew around the world, all these different, you know, CEOs or whatnot, um, and also in terms of, you know, translating the skill set that you've developed within business into kind of community affairs, nonprofit work, things like that. How's that all mesh for you? Um, um, so I'm on the board of a couple of nonprofits that you know focus on the poor and all kinds of stuff. But I, I definitely am not big. And I definitely don't have much activity in the nonprofit world. But in terms of my my identity as a religious Jew, um, you know, it's an interesting discussion because as a marketer, I always tell people, you know, your biggest quote unquote disadvantage, or let's call it stumbling block, or let's call it obstacle, if you own it, if you own up to it you can make it part of your brand, right? So now when I go to Silicon Valley, I meet with like senior VPs at Google, they get me kosher catering, they, you know, they sit with me, they understand, like I sign off every Friday and you know, right. on Instagram and announce to the world I'm signing off for Shabbos. When I go traveling around the world, I've been in, I don't know how many continents in the last whatever, six months, it's just a known thing. You know, kosher, I get offers to come speak on Shabbos and I, they understand, like, oh, you're Shabbos, you can't, you can't do it, you know? So it's part of my thing, I own it, right? I, you know, like I gave uh, a couple of weeks ago, or, of months ago now, I gave a commencement speech in Turo, in, in New York. So when they asked me to give a commencement speech, first I didn't go to Turo, so I, I was like, wow, okay. But second of all, I was like, who am I to give a commencement speech? You know, Bill Gates gives commencement speech, it's not me. You know, who am I? So I said, well, there are two options here. Either, well, there are three options. I could say no, that was not an option. <laughs> or I could stand up there and pretend, you know, of course I should be, you know, like, as if like pretending that, I, that it makes sense that I should be giving a commencement speech. Or I could own up to the reality and say, listen, guys, I'm nobody. And this is how I started my speech. I'm like, I feel like a fake right now. I'm standing here giving you a commencement speech. Who am I? But then I said, that's the point, right? And I ended my speech saying, guys, I'm some random dude in Israel who went all in on his passion, ignored all the business advice to monetize. And because I went all in on my passion, I built my entire career. I'm not Bill Gates, but that's exactly the point. You don't have to be Bill Gates to get up and give a commencement speech. You don't have to be Bill Gates to succeed in life. You can do whatever you want. And so that, the same concept, owning up to the reality. I'm not a Bill Gates, and yet, so you own it, it becomes part of your thing. And I've had people write me on Instagram. I mean, a woman once wrote me on Instagram saying, I haven't lit Shabbos candles in 50 years, but your signing off pictures made me start again. Wow. You know, I, I do now, I have a, a rabbi in my neighborhood. Um, I just felt like I wasn't learning Torah enough. So I reached out and I said, let's, let's start a chabrusa, start learning. I said, well, why not leverage the internet while we're at it? And so we, start, we do Facebook Lives twice a week and I do we learning, you know, Gemara. And there's no, obviously, business strategy. I don't care who watches, if anyone watches, but a couple of weeks after we started, I was at Google Tel Aviv mentoring startups, and a woman comes over to me with full Muslim garb, full Muslim garb, and she says, hello? I said, yes. She says to me, oh, I know you from Facebook. I'm like, oh, you follow me on Facebook? She goes, no, I just watch your Torah lessons. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you, what do you, mean you watch my Torah lessons? She goes, how could I be a good Muslim if I don't learn Torah? Apparently, this woman sits and watches our chavrusas every week. People coming from all around the world to watch our chavrusas. We're learning Gemara. We're learning Aramaic. Like it's it's nuts, you know. Um, so the answer is I own it. You know, I just own my my identity. I'm, I don't shy away from it. I never take off my yarmulke ever. Like I don't care who I'm meeting with. I never take off my keep. Be in Bahrain or whatever. No, I mean, listen. Sometimes I'll go to places like Paris that I'm not exactly comfortable wearing a keep. Even there, even there, I did wear a keep a little bit, but I wear a hat, you know. But 
I'll never walk around with that, you know, head covering. Um, and, you know, and I don't, again, not judging anyone that does, but I find that, you know, because I've owned up to it and I shy away from it, it's part of my identity, part of my brand. People know it, you know, and on the contrary, you know, number one, it gives Jewish, you know, whether it's kids and just people maybe that are a little bit less, less confident in their Jewish identity, I think gives them some confidence. But also I think um, I want to believe that it, you know, gives people a good positive impression about Judaism and how it's a really a beautiful religion, yeah. I think, I hope. It sounds like you have a pretty, uh, pretty dynamic and, and, and consuming life. Do you, have, do you have family, and how do you balance that? Or people, you know, I, I've heard before. Uh, I remember trying to remember uh, Malcolm Holmline, who I had early on in the in the, in the podcast, and asked about work-life balance, and he very honestly said, basically, there isn't any. I don't have balance, you know. And and, it's, and you know, for somebody who's so driven and so active, that balance is, is kind of a myth. What, where do you I stand on that? Fundamentally disagree. Okay, good. Okay. Do, do respect. Okay, please. I mean, obviously, but. I have, I, I, okay, I am home every single day at 5.30 putting my kids to sleep. I'm home 5.30 spending time with them, putting them to sleep every single night. Except when you're traveling the world. Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. But, but I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't go to, for example, every single night there's another demo day for another accelerator, there's Google events, there's Microsoft events. I never go to events at night. I just don't. I'm home with my family. family night is family time, right? So, I, so number one, I absolutely fundamentally disagree with people that say you can't have work-life balance. That's number one. Number two despite what I just said, if you look at my scent items every day, if you look at what I did on any given, any given day, you would blow your mind. Because I get, I would imagine what I get done in one day is what most people get done in a month. And the way I've, I've you know, able to do that, honestly, is I've, over the years, I've optimized or hacked my day, hacked my life, honestly, with shortcuts and things that like, that saved me hours upon hours. Can you give an example of one or two? I'll give you, I'll give you one example that is, the, the best hidden like, secret that just no one knows about, and I cannot even describe to you. I mean, you don't, we don't, we're not on video right now, so you can't see it, but I'll just tell you real quick. Both on iPhone and Android, there is a, um, there's a feature called text replacement. And anything that you write several times throughout the day, you could set up a shortcut for. And so instead of writing out your email 50 times a day, set up a shortcut so that you write the word whatever, HZ, or whatever shortcut you want, and it writes out your email address, your phone number, your address, things that you write often. So I started with my email and my phone number and my address. But then I found that, for example, people are sending me their CV on Facebook Messenger. And I say, well, I need it by email so I can forward it to you know, the job people that are hiring. So I write the following sentence. I write, thank you for your CV. Please send it to my email address. Make sure it's formatted well. Make sure it looks good. Just to let you know, I'm not a headhunter, so I can't promise anything, but I'll try my best. Those three sentences, four sentences, take me, what, a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes? times 50 every single day. That's one example. And then people send me, oh, can you please promote my whatever cause? And I, then I have to write a whole back, you know, I'm so sorry, I can't do it because it's my parnasa, it's my livelihood, and once I start promoting things, well, so that takes me six minutes every time. Every single one of these things takes me six minutes. You have a shortcut for each one of these. So every single one of these, I have a shortcut in my iPhone that I'll write three letters and it will write out the entire paragraph. How many, I, I get a question 100 times a day, what are the best restaurants in Israel? <laughs> so I set, I set a shortcut on my phone that I write the word best rest. So I write the word best rest and it fills up 80 restaurants. What is, by the way, your favorite? <laughs> oh, I have a whole list of them. I mean, Harvey Smokehouse is, is up there. It's new, pretty new in Jerusalem. There's a whole bunch of them, but I'm a big carnivore. But the point is I set up many, many, many shortcuts um, that I, I would say out of every 10 emails that I send, one of them is actually something that I wrote. Other, other nine are shortcuts. So that's just one example. That saves me probably two hours a day. I'm not even exaggerating. So the point is I get a lot done because I, I've optimized my time and I found shortcuts for things that I can find shortcuts for without you know, jeopardizing things that should not be uh, you know, cut corners like actual relationships. Right. Uh, don't automate your social media 
You're not a bot, right? So that's something I do invest time in. And people, someone said to me yesterday, like, how do you have time to post on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and, you know, and YouTube? And so the answer is, it's important to me. It's a priority. So I cut corners where I can and I focus on and, and invest time where it needs to be invested. And you don't sleep very much. I don't sleep very much. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I don't jeopardize on work-life balance. I, I date night every Thursday night with, my, with the wife, every Thursday night, without exception. Put my kids to sleep almost every, I would say, I would say 95% of nights I put my kids to sleep, give them breakfast in the morning, I leave the house at 6.30, and I'm back, you know, but, and then, oh, by the way, after I put my kids to sleep, you know, let's say by 8 o'clock, 8.30, they're all sleeping, then I work till 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. So, I don't jeopardize on my productivity, but I absolutely have work-life balance because I've made that a priority. People know that I do not go to events at night, no matter what. I don't care who you are, I will not come to your event, period. No offense, this is not a personal thing, but I will not come to events at night. Well. With uh, maybe an exception a year, like, really. I mean, I go to the We Were Creators Award, obviously it was super important, everyone was there. I was like, why didn't you come on me? Because with my kids, you know? So uh, I don't speak at events at night. Uh, another thing that, um, that I, I did kind of draw a red line is while I don't charge startups, while I don't take money for 98% of my time, I found that I did these speaking engagements every single day. Like I would, delegations would come to Israel, investors would come to Israel, right. students and interns, and, and I, you know, the Israeli landscape and talk about Israeli tech and talk about marketing and talk about this. And I, same, it was the same strategy for many years. Like if you do that, you're gonna build out your name. So I didn't take money. But then I found that I was doing it every single day. So I just couldn't do it anymore. So I said, all right, I'm not gonna take, you know, $50,000, but right. I gotta take a, a, you know, a speaker's fee. So now I, you know, I, I started taking $1,000 and that didn't really cut the volume. So I said, I'll do $2,000. That didn't cut it either. Meaning it just kept pouring in anyway. So now I'm taking $5,000. Someone wow. has to fly me around the world. They, could pay, they pay for my flights, they pay for my $5,000 speakers. Yeah, I, I just can't. Otherwise, it's just not sustainable. Right. So I don't charge startups, but I do charge for talks. Wow. And now, that, there are exceptions, right? Obviously, there's you know, a special organization that's doing amazing things. I try, you know, I'll definitely maybe do it for less, sometimes maybe for free if it's really something unique. But yeah, that's where I kind of drew the line where I could not sustain that. That's my biggest challenge in general, which is sustaining all this, because I'm doing a lot. And yeah. But I'm having a good time, though. That's the bottom line. Yeah, enjoy it. Yeah. Well, we've come to our time, so here we'll tell people where they can find you online. Sounds like a lot of places, but yeah. give us the best. I mean, the truth is, easiest is probably to just Google my name, Hill Fold. But uh, on Twitter is where I would say I'm most active, and on Instagram. So Hills Fold, H-I-L-Z, like zebra, F-U-L-D. And um, yeah, I, I do post a lot, so I apologize in advance for all the noise. But hopefully it's valuable content. I think if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see a nice mixture of tech, startups, food, cars, and family. And Twitter, it's a little bit more tech-oriented. Facebook's a little bit more, I would say, um, tech with a mixture of Judaism and Facebook. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Hero Fold, man of many hats. I won't describe all four and a half of them. But thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.